happy to have you on. Guys, we have Alvin Williams, uh, former Raptor. Most of you guys know him from. I didn't actually know you were drafted by the Blazers, and I'm a diehard Blazers fan, so that was the first thing that uh, set out to me going through your Wikipedia. How you doing, man? Wasn't there that long. Uh, yeah, was a year, I think, not even? Half a year. Half a year, okay, okay. Traded my rookie year. Oh, shit, okay. What, what point in the year was it then? Right after the All-Star break. I got. I was lucky enough, I made, I made the rookie game, and we went and played Phoenix Suns right after that. I had my career high, and then the next day I got traded. They traded you for who? Why? What was going on? Well, it was the Damon Stoudemire trade. So Damon oh. Stoudemire and Kenny Anderson was the initial trade, but Kenny Anderson was threatening that he wasn't going to come to Toronto. So I was pretty <laughs> much a throw-in for the trade for like security and insurance that they would have a point guard for the time being. Then they traded Kenny Anderson to Boston. That's when Chauncey Billups and D. Brown and those guys came over. Oh, man, I love this. 2000s basketball was my favorite time. Um, actually, that kind of ties into the, one of the questions we had from members was like, how did it feel to play in Toronto and Canada, like a brand new NBA city that, you know, only a couple years in the league and so young moving to, you know, a Canadian city? What was that like? It was I mean, it was different, but I was I was so young and green that I didn't I didn't necessarily understand what was going on. Right. I didn't mm-hmm. know about my, I didn't know anything about Toronto other than, you know, the Raptors and we played there and we played the Raptors twice that year. So I didn't know much, but you know, as the time passed and, and things grew, it was, it was one of the best things that happened to me in my life. How many years did you spend Toronto then? Uh, eight years as a player. And then I came back as a coach and worked in the front office for a bit. Right. And now I'm doing some media stuff. So Toronto is basically my second home. Yeah, definitely. I mentioned to you this earlier, but it was interesting that because, you know, we kind of pinged members and asked them for, you know, what kind of questions they had for you. And one of the guys said you used to wear Nike Air Flight Disruptors. Do you remember those? I didn't know they were called Disruptors, but yeah, yeah. I (laughs) I pretty much wore anything they gave me at that point. Yeah. So, you know, he mentioned that you wore those in the 2001 playoffs. I want to assume it was probably game five related when you torched the Knicks. Do you remember that game? (laughs) Oh, heck yeah, I remember that. That was an unbelievable, like that series. And it was just so funny, like how, you know, you stick with it, things may come your way. Because the year before, I wasn't getting any playing time. I was on a bench, you know, and then I remember sitting in, like sitting on a bench and looking how hyped the crowd was in New York. And I was like, before I die, I have to play in in the series against the Knicks. So, and it happened the next year and I was actually playing. So, but I thought, you know, that year I thought, you know, Vince Carter, that's when the shocks came out. Those uh, are he was wearing. So sometimes we used to switch back and forth with those. So maybe that, maybe I was superstitious enough that I didn't want to change up at that moment. Cause in that game, did you hit the kind of couple of free throws and, and buckets at the end to seal it off? Yeah, I hit a couple free throws. It was we were I think we were up like three or four. We were up, and then I hit a shot near the end just to kind of close it. Right. But um, a lot of people mistake it for like the game winner, but it was far right, from right. the game winner. But it was yeah. it was a shot that kind of closed the game. Yeah, if YouTube wasn't around, you could you could spin it however you wanted to. <laughs> I could lie. Did uh, did Spike say anything to you? Hell yeah. Was he, was he chirping yeah. on the? game? A little bit, but you know, it's funny throughout that time, of course, growing up watching, you know, Spike and all like the Bulls and whoever came, Indiana, whoever came in that way, you know, Spike was that guy chirping at all the superstars. And then I remember just, I was playing well that series. And then he started 
you know, talking a little bit, not throughout the game, just the beginning of the game. But yeah, I, I wasn't on his radar. He pretty much probably hounded Vince a lot, but <laughs> he left me alone pretty much. Yeah. You know, from your Raptors days, like what's your favorite moment? I know probably that game five MSG stands out, but is there anything else that kind of really resonates with you personally, or even just kind of being on the team that was just like a moment you'll never forget? Man, being on that team. And it's funny, someone just asked me that question. Of course, you know, certain games that you, you played well individually or the team played mm-hmm. well. But honestly, having that team and through the course of my years, the players that I got a chance to play with from D Brown to Mark Jackson, Rod Strickland, Charles Oakley, Kevin Willis, Antonio yeah. Davis, Del Curry, like, you know, Doug Christie, those older guys, of course, you know, mm-hmm. Vincent Tracy and, you know, my, my buddy, Michael Stewart, but having all of those veteran guys in that locker room, man, was unbelievable from not only the experience, but from the storytelling, right. from, you know, them taking us under their wing, taking me under their wing. Oakley used to invite me over his house. He was, he's a chef. So he would cook for oh, nice. me, my family, friends, and D Brown would take me out. So it was a lot of ups and downs my early years in Toronto mm-hmm. and having those guys, you know, taking me under their wing, giving me instruction, showing a lot of care. It, it was unbelievable. And those guys are guys I looked up to growing yeah. up. And I, I got a chance to actually be on the court with those guys, be their teammates, be in a locker room, share some intimate moments. Yeah, It, it was unbelievable. So that whole experience in Toronto, man, was, was something I'll, I'll cherish forever. For sure. I think it's like one of those things people forget sometimes about athletes and NBA players. It's like they're still humans. Like, yeah. you know, they cook, they have families, they care for each other. You know, they're taking the young guys underneath their wings and, you know, showing them what the league's really like and, you know, how to take care of yourself as you grow. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you were in the building for uh, Vince's missed shot and Kawhi's made shot. Is that true? I was... I wasn't in the building for Kawhi's made shot. I was oh, suffering from vertigo. <laughs> oh no! I, I missed. I missed that game. I watched it on TV. So yeah, I was in the building for Vince's missed shot. I was. I was on the team actually. And yeah, you know, it was funny. You're like life, man. You you sit and it's funny. Just me and Muggsy Bogues were not too long ago in Toronto talking to one another and and another another person that I, I don't think I mentioned, but he was another vital part of my development as well. But you know, just. You know, Vince, game seven against the Sixers on the road, come down to the last shot. And then years later, almost, what, 20 years later almost, and you have Kawhi Leonard, game seven at home, but the yeah. shot goes in. So it's just yeah. it's one of those amazing things when you look at life, like, wow, look, look how this thing comes full circle. 100%, especially for the Raptors fans, watching that ball just bounce around the rim yeah. and leading yeah. to a championship ultimately, like... I didn't think I'd see that day that Canadian team would would win after we lost the Grizzlies. I'm like, well, our 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 shots went down half. Like, there's no chance for us. Okay, so I kind of want to dive into a little bit about sneakers. Um, we'll see how much you remember from from your playing days and you know what was on the feet. But like, you know, in the 2000s, were the endorsement deals there? Were were the brands involved as much as what it seems like now? Like, were they trying to make sure? you know, a whole team was in Nikes or Adidas or whatever it might be. Like, what was your experience like in that, in that field? Oh man. I, well, I wasn't one of those top players. So I had to, I had to scratch for my endorsement deal. I ended up getting yeah. one um, with, with being in Portland. I ended up getting just a, a, I guess it's just, I guess it's like a, a product deal. Right. You know, from Nike, I started mm-hmm. out wearing Adidas, um, but I didn't really, I didn't really have any deals. 
And then I started getting some compensation and some product from Nike when I got to Toronto. But it wasn't as big, yeah. I want to say, because I think sneaker companies were more cognizant or more, you know, cautious about just giving certain deals to certain players. Right. So, I, you know, you had, your, I know Vince had a deal, you had Jordan, you know, Kobe, right. stuff like that. But for the most part, I think you just had to be a certain type of player with a certain type of, you know, you know, following whatever or game that certain sneakers companies would, would create those deals for you. For sure. Um, in a given season, how many shoes do you think you'd go through? Were you the type Man. of guy that would change it weekly or? Yeah, for me, yeah, for sure. Like I would like game the game. And, but it depended. If I was playing, if I was on a nice streak, like with a couple of games, yeah. couple of games and stuff, I would keep those same sneaks. But you yeah. know, when you're on the road, you're on the road. You have your away sneakers because they sometimes you would wear black sneaks, and then right. you know, at home you would wear the lighter sneaks. And then right. sometimes you might, for me in particular, you might go to the mall and you might see some Jordans, or you might see mm -hmm. some exclusive that you might want to wear. So you know that that was my thing. I paid for a lot of my sneakers as well. So right. Um, it was just one of those things where I, but I would go through sneakers. I'm a sneakerhead, right? So yeah. I would go through sneakers and I would love to feel I had a fresh pair of sneaks. And that was from when I was a kid. So that made me feel better out there on the court. What, well, when you got your first contract, did you, did you go and buy some shoes? Like, what were you doing? Were you thinking about, I'm going to go buy those Jordans I couldn't get? Man. Well, I see, I was lucky because in college I could get them, right? right. I, after a while. You know, I could get them. When I was a kid, I couldn't get the Jordans. They were 64 bucks. I remember when the Jordans first yeah. came out, they were like $64 US. So um, I didn't have any Jordans growing up other than maybe when I, my first pair were, like, I was like 14. I think mm -hmm. they were the Jordan 3s or 2s. I can't remember which one they were. But yeah, um, but yeah I, would, I would get the Jordans. My sneaker back then, early 2000s, was big white t-shirts and Air Force Ones. So <laughs> I would yeah. go to the store, man. I would get... If every size 11, 11 and a half, I would cop them up. So yeah. I always wear, I wouldn't wear Air Force One more than one or two times. So I always got wow. those. They were, they were one of my favorite sneakers at that time. So you were, you were going out and getting a fresh pair of white Air Force Ones like on the regular? Yeah, I would, cop, I would, I would go to the store. If they had five or six, I would get those five wow. or six. Yeah, I would, I would get them because that, that was it. Yeah, see, that's, that's, uh, that's what the Soul Savvy members would say are goals right there. Being able to walk in a store, pick up six pairs of your favorite Jordan, walk out, not care. <laughs> well, I say Air Force Ones, not Jordans. Air no, Force I know for you. These guys <laughs> these guys want their Jordans. Yeah, they could cost a little more. So the Air Force Ones, they were still, you know, I think they were 74 bucks. Yeah, yeah, fair. Yeah, now they're like 90 or 100, depending <laughs> yeah, on the model. Right. Um, do you still have a lot of your shoes from your playing days or did you not keep any of them? I didn't keep any of them. They yeah. um, Actually, it was funny. I, I I moved so much through the course of it. I had some storage and I, I just emptied out my storage and I had a pair of Vince Carter shocks. They were the silver, silver on gray ones, but like the bluish soul. And I found a pair of those and I and I was gonna keep them. And mm -hmm. I, I think I threw them away, but I was yeah. like, yo, these are classic right here. But you know, I saw they brought they brought them back out, so it wasn't that big of a deal. Right. Yeah, I have a weird sentimental attachment to my sneakers. Um I still have my black and red shocks for my senior year of basketball and they're like dusty and like cobwebbed from like three moves but i i moved again for a fourth time a couple months ago and i just looked at them and i'm like i can't i know i was a nobody but i just can't let go of these damn things yeah yeah that's what that's sneakers that like you you look at sneakers and you look at fashion in itself it's like you you get to a point where you can actually get it and mm -hmm. you can appreciate it and 
you know, it does mean something to you because a lot of times when you buy sneakers, it's a phase of your life that you'll remember what's going on at that time. It's kind of like me. 100%. Like sometimes you look at the sneaks like, oh, I remember where I had that game or I went out with this chick or I, right. you know, my friend's hair, you know what I mean? So it's just like something that will always stick with you. Sneakers play a big part for that, for especially in my life. Definitely, definitely. Likewise. Um, what about now? Like what's... What's your rotation look like? Are you still grabbing a pair of Air Force Ones? Are you are you into React or anything? Like, what's what do you, you wear? I've I've been getting the Max the two seventies. I, I was Max Air Max out of my mind the two seventies, man. Different colorways and they were very comfortable. And so I'm looking at those, and I just I just bought like an old school Nike blazer, kind of like that with like a snakeskin mm-hmm. like on it. So I don't know where I even found that from, but um. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I'm, I'm more, I'm more subtle now. I'm, I'm not going For to, sure. or I'm not ordering, I'm not doing much <laughs> now, but I do have about three or four sneaks that when I go to an occasion, I like to wear it. Nice. I will, I will. And I always want to try to have a new pair of sneakers on, not, not nothing old. Next uh, member event, we'll, uh, we'll kit you out with like the freshest heat that we got in stock. Man. <laughs> I need that. One other thing I really wanted to ask you was, and, you know, 2020 has not been a great start to the year. And, you know, Kobe's passing and everyone else on that helicopter was was really difficult to digest. But, you know, one thing that I've enjoyed coming out of that is just kind of all the stories people have had to tell and, you know, great stories about Kobe, who he's done, what kind of person he was. And I was doing some research before this uh, interview with you, and I found a, a footnote about that it was an all-star weekend. I don't remember how long ago, maybe 15 years now, but you ran into Kobe at the hotel lobby and then something happened. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, yeah, that was my rookie year. That was 1998. It was the all-star weekend. Um, I think it was Kobe's first all-star game or first as a starter or whatever. And I was there in a rookie game and I was coming out the hotel lobby, I think going maybe to a party or something to eat. I can't remember. He was coming in with a couple of his friends. And he's like, I was like, what's up, young buck? Because I've known Kobe for a long time, right? He, his dad used to coach us in our, uh, for our all-star leagues, like Rashid Wallace, you know, Mobley. Like, so we've all like known Kobe for since he was a kid. So I saw him. I was like, what's up, young buck? What are you about to do? What you getting into? He's like, oh, man, I'm going upstairs to my room and rap till my voice get hoarse. And I'm like, it's like, man, you can't rap. And he looked, is straight out of a movie. He looked at his friend was like, said, I can't rap. Give me a beat. And this dude started beatboxing on the street and Kobe just goes in, just start rapping. And, and he was good. Like he was really good. But when I looked, it was about, it was about a hundred people behind us. We was on the streets in New York and it was like a hundred people behind me and I'm looking and everyone thought I was supposed to follow up because they thought we were battling. I was like, I'm not battling, but yeah, that was it. That was, but that Kobe was really serious about the music for a while. Like I remember going to LA and, him, him inviting me to the studio. So he's playing ball. He's in the studio a lot. And but he was really into the music thing real heavy. But he, I mean, he has some bars. He can really rap. You know, when you think back to it, I forget now that, you know, he had an album. He was, it was <laughs> something he was doing in his, in his spare time, which I always think is great. Like right now you look at Damian Lillard um, in his off season, people all oh, stick to basketball, but it's like, man, I got four months here. I'm going to do something else I'm passionate about and, and be good at. So, you know, he makes music. So yeah, that, and that's the difference between now today's athlete and back then because when mm-hmm. i was coming up if you did anything else other than your profession you really? weren't focused you weren't really you know you weren't dedicated and they couldn't right. take you seriously but now nowadays the athlete and and, and the it's so different with with if you're not doing something else 
outside of that sport, whether it's investing, whether it's other careers, mm. if it's starting a business, if it's other interests, you're not pursuing those things while you have the platform, you have the finances, you have the notoriety, then you're right. behind the ball and you're, you're not using your time wisely. So Damian Lillard does a great job of balancing because he's a hell of a rapper and we know about his basketball game and yep. he continues getting better at both. So I think, I think that's something great for the athletes now in today's society. They can do more things. That's going to help them ultimately transition out right. of the sport when it's time. Absolutely. Man, it has been a hard, I know we were just talking about this earlier, but it has been hard to have no NBA. Um, I know there's different, you know, there's various things going on in the world that aren't as important, but like for me personally, it's the one that's hit home right now is like, can't sit back and, and catch your favorite team playing basketball. It just feels so odd in March to not have the playoffs coming up. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's weird. And especially with the NCAA tournament, like this is yeah. my time to go get, go get a couple early, early beers and watch the game the first week and, you know, then, you know, Villanova has been doing very well at my old school. So it was always right. good following them and checking out their progress. And then for the NBA side, you know, it's one of those things where the season is so long and everyone's talking about how many games, it's too many games need to cut the season. As soon right. as it's cut, people don't know what to do. So yeah. <laughs> one of these cases where you never know how much it means to you until it's gone. Yeah, absolutely. You know, looking at it now, it's just like they talk about changing the league to start in December or January. Do you think that would be good for, for basketball to not compete with football? Um, no, I, I don't think it. I think basketball has its lane. I mm-hmm. think they have they have what they're doing in, in the international approach, I think, is really – I don't know all the you know economics behind what the NBA is generating and everything, but it seems like they're doing very well. But um, you sure? I, I think just that time of the year, people are looking at – or something to come about and I think the whole thing and the other thing the NBA does well with mm-hmm. the promotion of the sport throughout like they make the draft a big deal they make summer league yep. a big deal now they make free agency a big deal so throughout the summer you're still you're still excited and then this year I think more than any other year there was a lot of storylines with people and a lot of change where people were excited about seeing it the start of the season so yep. I, th- I don't know if it's a big deal of competing with the NFL because the N- NBA have pretty much you know carved out their own lane no i agree like when you think about last off season from when the raptors won to the start of the year i think there was maybe like three weeks off where where basketball wasn't the the top subject in the news you know from guys switching teams to just everything that was happening it's it's a it's a year-round sport for me Um, and the timing was great too because somebody as popular as zion williamson right like right that big hype and all that stuff so unfortunately for the raptors you know, the celebration for the championship was short-lived, like, because yeah. it was on to the next topic, right? And yeah. that was the unfortunate part, but um, you can't you can't erase history anyway, but it is a good thing for the NBA. Yeah, well, you know what the Raptors fans are saying right now, right? What's that? If any champions for another year. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> can't take that away from them. And they were scrapping hard this year. I think a lot of people were counting them out, going to miss the playoffs. This year, man was the most impressive year I've seen, I think, from the Raptors. Of course, last year you take the championship, but, you know, with the expectations being low because of you losing someone like Kawhi and you're uncertain with the players and you just don't know. But the way they've played through injury, the way they played through Kawhi not being there, mm-hmm. the adjustments, I think, you know, Nick Nurse is one of those guys that you got to consider coach of the year. I look Definitely. at Norman Powell as somebody's most improved player you know, of the year, and you're just looking at just, just the format of the team, man. It's a tr- That's what you – when you look at a team, mm-hmm. that's a true team. 
someone who believed that a team that a unit that believes in one another, they believe in a coach. And, and, and it shows, man. It really shows. And they're doing they're doing a great job. I'm I'm hoping this thing don't get cut that short where you can't you can't reap the benefits of all the work they've put in. Yeah, definitely. I, I, yeah, I hope we are seeing an NBA season of some kind, June, July, with the playoffs in August. I think we'd all welcome back basketball um, by then. Sure. So I, I want to finish off kind of um, on a personal level, like your journey, um, you know, before the NBA and kind of what's coming next. When did you realize you had a like an actual shot to be uh, a player in the NBA? Um, maybe like my junior year in college. Okay. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't, a, of course you wanted to, I wanted to be in the NBA and I right. wanted, I love basketball and I grew up dreaming about basketball and watching Dr. J, Mo Cheeks, Magic Johnson, all these guys. But it wasn't always a reality for me because, you know, growing up as a kid, adults and coaches would tell you, you know, it's a very small percentage of people that made it to the NBA and you got to get right. your education and all those type of things. So that was pushed. You know, I wanted to be in education education uh, my major was elementary education so i wanted to be mm-hmm. a teacher in the elementary level so i wasn't really i, I was but th- it wasn't a reality until my teammate carrie kittles at villanova you yep. know he came back after he was drafted and you know getting a chance to play against him and practice against him and him just giving me the the landscape of the nba that's when it started becoming more of a reality. Like, hey, I, I am good enough, and yeah. you know, hopefully, I get an opportunity to, to show that, so I can actually be in the NBA. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, I, you know, I think most people just assume players kind of grow up thinking, you know, what I'm top five guy, top ten guy, I'm gonna make it. But to, I guess, have that eye opening experience to play someone who's now in the NBA and see that you you stack up with him helped you. Yeah. It's funny because back then that wasn't like I said it wasn't our reality. Like I grew up mm-hmm. with Rashid Wallace. He was he was my brother growing up, and no one was more popular than him. He was the top high school players. He and Jerry Stackhouse coming in 1993, and mm-hmm. you know he was 6'11", and he knew like it was like from the outside you would say he's an NBA player, right? But yeah. he we've never on a personal level talked about making it to the NBA. Never talked about money in the NBA. Never talked about any of those things until, you know, actually he got drafted. And when he got drafted by the, by the Bullets, mm-hmm. you know, out of North Carolina his sophomore year, that's when it was kind of like, wow, man, he's in the NBA. But we've never – that was never a conversation. We never played basketball to go to the NBA. We played it because we loved wow. it. So that was just the way we came up in the area. And I'm sure there are kids that had bigger dreams and they had different expectations. But, you know, just through our communication and our conversation – the NBA rarely came up. Right. That's fair. You know, we've, we also talked kind of about your career, but you know, what comes next? I think you, you were an assistant coach for a little bit and you're an analyst with Sportsnet. Like what are your goals going forward? So right now I'm part of a group, um, co-founder of a group called uh, Pro Capital Partners, who is it's a wealth advisory firm and we're managing finances for athletes and entertainers, high net worth families. But my, my focus is really educating okay. um, along with, you know, the investing of it and the management of their finances. I'm really pushing to educate, you know, the, the, the clients and their families, offer right. support to their clients and their families on every level. And we have mm-hmm. a wellness initiative where we focus on, you know, the education side, the mental, the mental, uh, the mental side of it as well. Uh, spouse and sibling support, once again, giving support to people that's trusted and, and, influential circles because a lot of a lot of players man they feel like they have to support everyone around them 
And right. when you start hearing certain stories financially about former players and stuff, a lot of the recipe for, you know, disaster is one person trying to take care of everyone. So right. we got to offer as much support with our resources and our network for not just the client, but their family and their siblings and stuff like that. So it's a holistic approach to trying to help players and, and their families through the roadmap and their journey of success. So it's really interesting because I don't ha- I don't have much fi- uh, financial background mm-hmm. other than my own finances, and I've had to learn on a job with that. But it's really fulfilling. It's um it's something that being an entrepreneur is is nerve wracking, and there's a lot of sleepless nights more than me trying to guard down on Irison. <laughs> less now than I was then. So it's it's a great it's a great it's a great challenge for me. But I really feel strongly and passionate about it. So that's what I'm doing currently now, as well as, you know, coaching some kids on a basketball, young kids and still handing my 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 role as a basketball coach sometimes um, just helping with training. So those are the things that I'm really affiliated with right now. That's awesome. Have you ever do you ever have ideas of like being a head coach or a GM? Do you ever want to get back in the league in any type of way? You know what I, I did? And we know playing, I never wanted to be a coach. I always wanted to be in the front office because I love to putting, I love the aspect of putting teams together and being a part of that process of building. Um, that's something that I still, I have a lot of interest in. I have, I've been away from the game from that standpoint for about a year and a half now. So, you know, it's just pretty much trying to get your feet wet in, in that, in that space again. Hopefully mm-hmm. opportunity may come. If not, you know, I, I'm really, you know, entrenched with, you know, the new business. So I can't, you know, be halfway in and halfway out. So right, that, decision, that decision is there. So, but, you know, I always have that interest. I love the game. I love working with people to make the game better. So that's always, that's always a possibility if, if, if it, if it occurs. Cool. Well, look, man, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to chat with us and kind of give the members some insight into, you know, what's going on in your world. So thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. Really appreciate it.